Hello, and welcome back to the Curious One podcast. My name is Emma Krebs. I created this podcast to be able to have conversations that were lacking through my daily interactions, as I always felt the longing to dive deeper. This space is for meaningful conversations that I hope help to broaden my perspectives and maybe even yours as well. Hello, and thank you for joining me on another episode of the Curious One podcast. Today, I sit down with Carden Wyckoff. Carden is one fascinating individual. She is constantly doing work, advocacy, and education for her community, hosting her own podcast, working at her full-time job, all while rolling around at six miles per hour as a wheelchair warrior. I was so honored when Carden agreed to be on my podcast as I have been following her podcast, Freewheeling with Carden, for quite some time now. On her podcast, Carden interviews guests with both visible and non-visible disabilities to share their story and shed light onto disability awareness. As I said before, I have learned so much from Carden's podcast and I highly recommend you check it out. It'll be linked in the show notes. In this episode of The Curious One, Carden sat down with me to help educate me further on the lives of those with disabilities. Carden shared her personal journey with FSH and its progression throughout her life. We also chatted about inspiration porn, accessible housing, her work as a disability activist, how we can all create a better community for those with disabilities, and more. As always, if you enjoyed this episode and you know of someone you think will learn something from Carden's story, please share this episode with them. All right, let's dive into the episode. May be inspired, may be curious, and may learn more about yourself as we learn about others. Enjoy. Well, welcome Carden Wyckoff to the Curious One podcast. It's honestly such a pleasure to have you on. I always find it um, super fun collaborating with other podcasters because I listen to their podcast regularly and so I hear their voice. So then when the moment comes where I actually meet them and I get to interact with the voice, it's always such like a fun experience. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to chat. Well, thank you, Emma. I'm really thankful that you brought me on here. And and yeah, you always have this picture of what that person looks like in your head if you don't have a video podcasting platform. And my before I, I was just listening to your podcast and I wasn't actually look, looking at your Instagram. I was like, you know, I have this idea of what this person looks like. And then it was totally different. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But yeah. I, I think I came across your Instagram. And I, that's how I think I, I, I was trying to think about this last time when we spoke, I was trying to figure out how I found you and your podcast. Yeah, how did you find me? <laughs> no, because you're I, not in the disability community, right? So like no. all my hashtags are just disability centric. Mm-hmm. I think, I honestly think it was, I interviewed, um, Becca and yeah, mm-hmm. on my autism, sorry, on my autism series. And I think, cause you guys have, um, had a conversation together. You guys are friends. Um, I'm wondering if that's how it came across, but it's actually crazy. Likely. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Um, but also too, with what I was going to say about uh, in this intro is, um, I want to just like start out by saying, I, I want to say if, if I am asking any questions or using any vocabulary or anything that is incorrect, um, please ask me or sorry, please let me know. And at the same time, um, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be asking a lot of dumb questions, but my intention with this is just like, 
you know what? I'm just putting my mind aside and my own self-judgments on not being educated enough on what disability, like about disabilities. Um, and this is my like beginning of my journey to learn more about it. I don't know. Yeah. And it's awesome that, I mean, you got to start somewhere. And so dumb questions are always welcome and Mm -hmm. I'm happy to dispel any myths or um, answer those, what you're quoting as dumb questions. (laughs) I think it's important to just be curious. And that's, you know, the nature of your podcast, the curious one is just being open and not being afraid to ask questions and coming from that place of, you know, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I, I'm really just trying to educate myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you for saying that. And um, I'm not looking for like your validation or anything like that. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just explaining where I'm showing up from. Um, and-, and I'm also just one story, right? I'm just yes. one puzzle piece to the beautiful, um, all the different abilities that are in this world, all the different disabilities that people have and um, their obstacles that they overcome. And so I look through one particular lens, but I've educated myself to learn about other people's struggles and their disabilities so that you know I can be more sensitive, more inclusive in my efforts when I'm doing advocacy. Mm, that's awesome. And that's exactly why um, I really wanted to interview you is because as we'll get into, you actually have your own podcast and as we've mentioned mm-hmm. a few times, um, but you're also a speaker, you're a traveler, and you are a disabilities um, activist and you're also a wheelchair warrior. So to start out, why don't we talk a bit about what your podcast is because that's kind of our how I found you. And so are you able to explain what Freewheeling with Cardin is? <laughs> yes. So my podcast Freewheeling with Cardin is a podcast that shares stories of people with disabilities and all of their beauty and just break down barriers, stigma, stereotypes in the disability community. And we work to elevate and empower them by talking about things like workplace accommodations, things like event accommodations, travel accommodations, you know, what are people doing um, to get around in the world um, that is a very inaccessible world in the built environment, in the digital environment, and help others maybe give them some tips and tricks for other disability, other people with disabilities, but then also build that network network of allies so that um, people in the corporate environment or those who are not disabled are able to listen in and say, oh, you know, I, I never thought about that. Maybe I should think about that in my practices or add that into my policy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say, I've been diving into your podcast the past few months and I've just, I've learned so much. And I think you do just as a, a podcast itself. Um, I've told you this many times, you do a great job on like the audio quality, things like that. But the messages that you're, you're sharing, it's, it's um, honestly, each one I take away so much from it. And um, I think it's a really important podcast and you're doing a great job. So I just want Thank to say you. That. I really appreciate it. I think the main focus of it and what I saw in the community is there's a lot of this term called inspiration porn. Mm. And what that is, is a lot of times the media likes to display people with disabilities as kind of this inspiration to make non-disabled people feel bad about themselves or to make them, um, it's just to like downplay that, you know, you're not doing a good job because you don't have a disability. So Uh, we're going to put these people who are disabled on a pedestal to feel better about other people. 
And I wanted to get away from that mindset and really just have vulnerable conversations of people with various disabilities and their regular day challenges and their struggles and um, to really work to create uh, a more inclusive and accessible world just by talking about it. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you do. And that is one of one of the things I think I have in my notes here is that you are really breaking down that barrier. And like, I feel like an idiot. I feel like, oops, so ignorant that like, um, I've just kind of learned that through you. It's, it's an, a common theme of just like, we are normal people and like, we don't need to be this saved. As you said, you spoke with a gentleman who had cerebral palsy. And I know you guys chatted about that, um, for quite a bit. And it is true. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it, I've learned a lot from that Carden. So yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think that notion around people with disabilities need saved need saving comes with that type of model of disabilities and how the world views those individuals, and with that is like the tragedy model. So looking at people with disabilities as um, needing help and needing saving, and that they can't do life um, on their own, every single task of, of their on their own without non-disabled people helping them. And I don't want to overgeneralize that because there are people that do need care, that have caretakers and that do need assistance on a regular basis. But I think for the general community, the more, the mindset is more so that you should feel sorry for us and that, Mm. um, we aren't able to overcome barriers and obstacles and challenges because we are, we do it all day, every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and whether or not, um, we hire help to do that. I think that's a different story. I think it's um, hiring help is different than um, having people look at us as this tragedy and that we should be felt sorry for. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm I, saying that right. <laughs> no, a million percent. Can I ask you a question that's just popped into my head? Um, do you think that having a podcast where it's a medium where you don't really see, it's not a visible medium and it's do you think that helps to remove kind of like the stigma if we're not distracted by maybe what the person looks like in a way um, through hearing their story? That's a great question. I've never been asked that before. I do like the idea of not showing the faces of the people on one side of it, just because like you said, sometimes that inspiration porn is linked to seeing physical disabilities that Mm. are visible with the naked eye. But um, at the end, at the other end of the spectrum is that people with disabilities are people too, right? We have, we come in all different shapes and sizes, um, all different ability and disability statuses as well. And so, um, our story deserves to be heard and shared and, um, whether or not that can be seen or not, um, is also important. So, um, yeah, I, I don't do video on my podcast right now just cause I haven't, I haven't found a good platform to do that, but I do think um, it's important to show that not all disabilities are visible. And so I interview a lot of guests with invisible disabilities as Mm. well, because I think that's another common stereotype is that all people with disabilities or a good chunk of them use wheelchairs. And that's far from the truth. The majority of people with disabilities are are non-visible. So, Mm mm-hmm. That's another, that's all, um, something that's a, that's a whole other can of worms too. And I love that you are addressing both through 
through your message. Um, can we cut a bit to your personal journey and um, maybe for those that don't know you, why you are so passionate about um, disability rights and um, maybe just your perspective of where you're coming from? Sure. So my perspective is I have a progressive muscular disease and it's a muscle wasting disease. So over time, um, my skeletal muscle in my body turns into fat and I was born with muscular dystrophy and I was diagnosed at about nine years old. I showed symptoms. Uh, it's, I have an infantile onset, so I showed symptoms as early as four. And so from about four to nine, my parents were trying to figure out, you know, what the heck was wrong with me? And, um, and it was very small, but uh, noticeable signs that there was something wrong with me. So things like not being able to close my eyes fully at night, um, having trouble blowing up birthday candles, um, being competitive in sports, but not being able to be the number one. So I would try and run, run, run and try and practice and practice over and over again, but couldn't be that top performer. And and so after doctor to doctor to doctor, finally found a specialist up in um, uh, here in Emory in Atlanta and referred me to Rochester, New York. And I was diagnosed right there on the spot and had blood work and had my whole family tested as well. And my family is, they're not carriers and they also don't have uh, muscular dystrophy. So I am a spontaneous mutation is what they say. So it just happened in utero when I was growing in my mom's belly. And um, so over time, the progression, it started, I would say it started getting uh, to be noticeable on me specifically in when I was probably 14, 15. And that's kind of when puberty hit. So I was going through those growth spurt and I just noticed walking started becoming more difficult and stairs became more difficult. So I would start using a handrail, start avoiding long distances, um, making excuses of not being able to go and do things because it just became too tired and exhausting. And all through high school, um, I, I didn't talk to anyone about it really um, and up until my junior and senior year because that's when it started becoming noticeable that I was having a gait and I kind of waddled, started waddling a little bit and I could only use one stair at a time. And so people started asking me questions. And then in college, I started using leg braces. Um, so they're called AFOs, calf AFOs, ankle fo foot orthosis. And they help to pick up your feet and they're just shoe inserts and they help so to prevent tripping and falling. And because um, the type of muscular dystrophy that I have, it affects my, uh, my interior tibialis, which is what picks up your feet so mm. that you can propel forward. And when those muscle, when that muscle group started to deteriorate, um, I had to find something to prevent me from falling. And so I used um, those ankle braces for about five years. And then those just became not strong enough. I kept breaking and falling often. And that's when I started using a scooter part-time. So this was after college. So this was about 2016. So you see like this slow progression over time. So I started 
high school in 2007, 2008. And so um, within seven years, right, noticeably almost uh, probably longer than that, like eight, nine years, noticeably that progression became more and more. And then I started using a scooter part-time. So it was using a scooter when I would go into the grocery store and I would use one of those granny carts <laughs> that you see. And, and people would question and look at me differently because they would say, well, I, I had store managers stop me and say, you know, these are only for people that need assistance. And mm. I was kind of taken aback by that, that, you know, just because I'm young and just because I don't physically look disabled, if I were to stand up and show you how I walk, it's like you have to prove to yeah. people that you're disabled. And I, I can't imagine for those who have invisible disabilities, what that mountain is like for them as well, mm -hmm. that they really have to prove to society or they just give up. Mm -hmm. trying to prove that they need those accommodations. And so, um, you know, got a lot of weird looks, got a lot of people saying, you know, shame on you for wow. using those. And then I got um, the accessible parking when I, I got accessible parking when I was in high school and, oh my gosh, that was the worst experience being 17, 18 and having accessible parking and getting out of the parking spot and, and people saying, especially the, the older, the seniors, and then also just random individuals would come up to me and just say, how dare you? And what? I'm like, would you like to check my license with my, my accessible parking pass? Um, and then at the time I ended up switching to a, a, a accessible license plate. So I didn't have that tag anymore. So, you know, as a citizen in the United States, like I have that right to have accessible parking. And I had a doctor's note that I proved to the state of Georgia that I needed that. And that was an accommodation that they provided to me. So it's, uh, no one's, it's no one's place to judge that except for the state and the doctor. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so after college uh, was using that scooter I actually left it in my house for about six months before I started using it because of I, how I knew people would treat me differently and how I knew people would, you know, I thought it was ugly. I was like, I, I, you know, I don't need it. I'm fine. I can still do this on my own. And I ended up fracturing my skull pretty badly. And that was, that was a rough journey. So I had to choose safety over ego. And, and I do remember that first day that I used the scooter is that it was like life-changing because I felt the freedom. It was like, wow, I, I can go down a mile and not have to worry about every step and crack and the, the pitch and whether or not I'm going to fall over or be bumped into, or uh, if I fall over, then I can't get up. So those ruminating thoughts that were just so cyclic um, no longer had those. So then it was turning into I'm not thinking about every step and crack and how long. And now I'm thinking about, are there ramps? Are there elevators? Um, are there stairs to get into places that are inaccessible? And thinking more so about the built environment. And the built environment is just everything that human creates, right? So okay. things like buildings and schools and roadways and sidewalks. And uh, the, the scooter just 
wasn't sturdy enough for me after a certain amount of time and it didn't go far enough. It wasn't fast enough. Uh, I didn't, it wasn't robust enough for the streets of Atlanta. And so I transitioned. Can I ask you a question? Is it like one of those scooters that you were talking about where like you sit on and you have like the handlebars with like the yeah. basket? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. 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 Three-wheeled scooter. Very granny okay. looking like. <laughs> no judgment to the grannies that use that. But uh, when you're when you're 22 using that, Crunchy, wow. you want nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's not cute. Um, and it was bright red and it, it just, I was like, you know, I'm the type of person that I wore a lot of like neutral colors, like a lot of like white and black. And then having a red scooter was like screamed, I don't want like screamed attention. I was like, I just, I want to like blend in. Yeah. And uh, so then I transitioned to a power wheelchair and um, that again, changed my life um, for being able to just get around and have the freedom to be able to do what I want to do on a daily basis. But that doesn't discount the fact that I have other physical challenges that came with that. You know, as soon as you start, as soon as you stop walking and stop Mm -hmm. using those muscles, you, it just speeds up the progression. It's like, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So dealing with other losses in other categories, but I think overall my safety and my health is much more important than the ego. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can imagine that was a hard moment of deciding, yeah, like, do I keep putting myself through a lot of this hardship to try and keep these muscles, as you said, or like, do I, when's the moment that you fully transition to using your, your wheelchair, you know, because then you, it's like, um, it's like a give and take, you know what I mean? Like you're gonna, you have to let go of some things to gain other things, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. That, and that's, that's really what it was. It was, and then I started using it more in my house, the scooter mm. in my house. And it just turned into, oh, I'm just going to hop in my scooter and, and go down to the end of the hall. And and then it turned into, wow, it's really tiring to have to bend over to do the laundry and pull out the, the wet clothes that are heavy and then transition those into the dryer. So why don't I just sit and do that? And then mm. it became, okay, well... Now I can't have a, a top loader washer. I need a, one of those front loader washers. And so that's when you start thinking about in your house, the type of accommodations that you need when you go from standing to sitting all day mm-hmm. long. But um, with that, it's, uh, I'm, I have so much more energy because it was so exhausting and tiring just doing simple tasks like loading laundry because mm-hmm. I had to walk and carry it. And that was one thing. And then had to, you know, pick it up off the floor and put it into the washer and, and all that involves standing and a lot of muscles that I would just have really, really bad back pain at the end of the day. Um, I would just come home in my bed and just totally crash because my back pain was so bad um, mm. because it just, all those little tasks um, really added up over the day. But when I found when I was using my scooter for those tasks that um, I didn't, I wanted to reserve my energy, I found that I could go much longer in my day and I didn't have as much pain at the end of the day. So <laughs> I, I found myself using the scooter more and more and more because it was like, well, I'm in less pain. I'm in less pain. Mm. So, and then it turned into using it full time in the house, 
And then it was like, all right, my house is totally inaccessible. I need a new one. So mm-hmm. uh, that was when I was on the search for new house and new apartment and um, trying to figure out uh, housing is a whole nother issue and topic of conversation. I could talk endless about trying to find a house that's accessible for my particular needs because my needs are, are very different for someone who may be low blind or, um, uh, sorry, have low vision or is blind or someone who is hard of hearing or, you know, someone who is uh, maybe is a paraplegic, um, has some standing function, but uses a wheelchair temporarily. You know, it's just, you have to find what suits best for your needs. Mm -hmm. That was going to be a question. Can I ask that? Like how, what are certain things that you looked for in your house that would suit your needs that might be different than say, I know you have a sister who is not a wheelchair user. Um, Are you able to provide some, some examples or things you look for? Sure. So when I, so we'll go into this new apartment that I'm in now, because this is, I would consider my first quote accessible apartment. Mm -hmm. The other ones that I have when I still had my scooter, uh, they weren't, I still was kind of standing to take showers, still standing up to walk to the bathroom. Um, but this one that I'm in now, cause I use the wheelchair full time. I don't stand any longer. Um, things like a rollable shower, uh, oh, sorry, a roll in shower that okay. has a shower bench. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it's all one level and there's a bench that's mounted to the wall that I had them put the same height as my wheelchair so that it was just an easy transition. I didn't have to, because I, I knew at the time I could do a different height. Um, so if, if the wheelchair was higher than the bench, I knew, you know, three years ago when I moved into this place that I could, I had that muscle strength to do it, but I knew long-term that I needed to think about having a level surface and a smooth transition that didn't have any height differentiation so that um, just because with the progression, you kind of have to think ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So so an, I, independently being able to take a shower. Um, around my toilet, I have grab bars. And so that helps to move over uh, from the wheelchair onto the bathroom, uh, onto the toilet. And I also have a toilet riser and the toilet riser is about four or five inches so that it's the same height as my wheelchair. So thinking of when I'm transitioning from one place to another, um, have to keep that level. Um, Things like roll under sinks in my my bathroom and in my kitchen so that um, I don't have to reach really far to turn on the faucet. I just roll under the counter and I'm, I'm right up close to it. Um, All of my kitchen counters are about four inches lower than a traditional kitchen height so that um, because I'm obviously I'm sitting, so I'm lower, so need that to be lower. Um, In my bed, I actually just recently had this transition where I no longer was um, kind of semi-standing to transition into my bed. I've now lowered it to be the same height as my wheelchair and I have a transfer board, which is a, it's just a hard plastic piece that I um, scooch under my bottom and then I then use it to just slide over into the bed. And the reason I need the slider board on the bed versus a slider board for 
the toilet or the shower bench just because the bed gives and it's oh. also squishy. So mm-hmm. it's not hard and at a fixed height. So the transfer board helps um, with that transition from a soft to soft um, that gives because a bed isn't, isn't, isn't a hard surface. Because <laughs> would it like, would you almost like wobble if you sat down and it was, it was soft? You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it would just make it difficult to transition. Yeah. That, because when you're leaning over onto the bed, Mm-hmm. It drops down about okay. three inches, maybe not that much, but um, two two inches or so, and so that's that height difference is what makes it difficult to transfer. So for me now, needs to have that level surface. Um, the height has to be the same. So the transfer board helps to um, as you're transitioning. It, it just keeps it, it just keeps it more level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this apartment that I'm in, I like it because it doesn't have a kitchen island, which a lot of accessible units in Atlanta have these islands in their kitchen with um, that you have bar stools at them. The problem with that and using a wheelchair is that the island gets in the way of being able to just turn around uh. in the kitchen. And so when you're thinking about loading a dishwasher, the dishwasher opens down, the stove opens down, you're opening up a counter or the, the cabinet underneath. And so when you have all these things that you're opening and then you have an island in the way, it just makes it very difficult to maneuver quickly to transfer dishes from your dishwasher to the cabinet or um, grab things out of, the, uh, out of the refrigerator to take to the sink or to mm-hmm. the counter. So it's nice that that was something that I really wanted because most of the units here that they're calling accessible, they have those islands. And for me, they're, they're just in the way. Mm-hmm. So then is the, I know it'll be, so I'm located in Canada and I know it'll be a bit different. Um, I'm sure state to state, country to country. Um, but so is where you live. Is it um, like a, a condo complex and is it all of the units, are they accessible or like, did you do renovations to make it accessible or what does that look like? So I live in a apartment complex. Mm-hmm. So I rent, I don't own this place and only, I think it's four units. So I, I live in a 40 story building wow. and I think only like four apartments are considered quote accessible units. Okay. The rest are, are not. So per the housing requirements uh, for equal opportunity housing here in the United States, a certain percentage of your apartment units have to be quote accessible. And I, I want to say it's 5%, but that may be too high. I just, I don't personally know that number off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but it is a requirement of our housing laws. Okay. But in my opinion, it's not enough. Mm. We need like half of these units to be accessible because people with disabilities need housing. Mm-hmm. Right now, a lot of them are displaced. Um, they're, they have to move out outside the city because it's too expensive to live in the city. They'll live with their parents um, because it's just easier and their house is, is modified to what they need. Um, so independent living for people with disabilities is is lacking in my opinion, 
and very challenging. I personally didn't do any renovations inside of this apartment. Okay. Um, the only thing that they added um, were grab bars around the toilet. Um, and then the shower bench was the only thing that they installed. But the um, all of the roll under and the counters were already, uh, the roll under sinks were already there. The counters were already lower. So it was built to be accessible. And then um, my washer dryer is actually a single unit and it's a front loader. Oh, I have the same. I'm, it's sitting right in front of me right now. I have the same oh, one. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Um, that's, it's, it's super interesting. I was listening to, um, oh, her name just Alice Wong. I think her name is. Mm-hmm disability visibility Visibility. Mm -hmm. yeah so i I read her the the book or the collection of essays um oh cool yeah yeah. i'm reading it right now actually it was it was an amazing um uh book yeah it's a book if it's a collection of essays um and so then through through that i found her podcast and i'm i was listening to her podcast and maybe that's how i found you i'm not too sure um (laughs) (laughs) um and so then she did one on, I think it was on accessible housing. And the gentleman was also saying, again, I think they were located in, in the United States, but I assume that this is very common for a lot of Western countries. Um, he was also saying that these accessible houses, as you said, they either have to like, they're really maybe far away, or he was also saying the cost of them is quite high mm-hmm. um, when that can be a, a big challenge for individuals with disabilities. So. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. My rent is ridiculous. Really? It, it's, it's too high. Um, it's, it's insane. Um, but the reason, um, that I live in this unit is because I can live independently for Mm -hmm. the time being right where I am currently in my progression. Um, there's not an Island. And that was a huge thing that I was looking for. Most of the units that I toured, they all had those islands in them. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a, I love heights, so I wanted to be really high up, and this is one of the tallest uh, residential buildings. Um, so there's some perks in it for <laughs> me as well, right? Um, wanted to be western facing with a lot of windows and light, mm-hmm. and so I know we're, you're looking at me right now, and you can see this is just I'm all in natural light right now, and I love it because I have mm-hmm. floor to ceiling windows, and you know, I wanted floor to ceiling windows. A lot of places don't have that, so. Um, But the other thing that is important is that I live on top of a grocery store. I live Uh. a block from the train station. I live um, next door to an urgent care. Um, And then I live um, about half a mile from the park. And so I wanted to be in a place where I was centrally located and also had the ability to get access to food. And Mm -hmm. I didn't need a car. I didn't need a train to go and get food um, Mm -hmm. that was a huge bonus mm-hmm. for me. And so this place, and, and then at the time I was commuting to work, no longer anymore with the pandemic, <laughs> but um, only being three stops from my, uh, from my work was also really important. Mm-hmm. It's a, a very interesting point to bring up, even as someone that, um, what, what, is saying like I'm able-bodied, is that correct? I like to use the word, and I think what a lot of people in the disability community say, non-disabled versus disabled. And the reason for that 
is that you technically could become disabled at any point in your life. Not that I'm wishing that upon anyone, mm -hmm. but if we think about a temporary, a situational or a permanent disability, um, you could have a disability um, that uh, a permanent disability that comes onset later in life, like, you know, bipolar, a lot of mental, mental disorders usually come on in your mid twenties. Um, and those are permanent. Um, and, and then you can have a situational disability, uh, which could be, let's say you're, um, carrying your, your laptop and your cup of coffee and you can't open up the door. So you rely on the push to open, open button because you don't have use of your hands in that moment. Um, and then, um, or if you think about another thing, like you're in a really loud bar, um, and, um, you can't hear the person sitting next to you, that could also be a situational, uh, disability, um, because you can't hear in that moment. And then a temporary disability would be like, you break your leg, right? You slipped on the ice in Canada and, and you broke Happened your twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and with that, then you now have to. Uh, let's say if you break your arm, it's like, okay, now I have to think about how do I do everything with just one hand? Mm. Okay. That is, th those are amazing examples. Okay. And it also is the ableism is deeply rooted in society. And so we're trying to get away from using that word so that we can um, elevate people with disabilities and really be proud of the word disability and be proud of the word disabled. Um, because that's, that's who I am. I am disabled and I'm proud to say that. Um, mm -hmm. I, am, I do a lot for my community and I'm an advocate and um, I probably wouldn't be the same person if I didn't have my permanent disability. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that and for clearing that up. Yeah. It's just, I, so I live, um, in the city center of my city and I don't have a car. And so even for me, like those are just, not only are those, um, things that you need to be conservative of since you are a wheelchair user, but it's also beyond that, just as an individual, I look for similar things because I don't have a car. I need to be able to walk to my grocery store and to my job because I still go in and things like that. So, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I want to ask you a question now. Um, it might be, or I want to ask you a question now, and it might seem as though I'm talking about your um, your physical, um, your your. Is it a disease? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it might be. It might sound like I'm coming um, at it for like questioning your disease, but I just mean in general because life is filled with so many unknowns, and we all have unknowns, and we all face unknowns. Um, daily. So I just want to ask, because I really do like your mindset. I've listened to your podcast podcast for quite some time now. I follow you on Instagram and you just beyond. Stalker. I know. I'm I know. <laughs> you were probably like, how does she know I have a sister? But I just, I loved your interview. Yeah, I was going to say, wait, I didn't say, I don't think I mentioned I had a sister. You <laughs> stalker, Emma. Oh my gosh. Oh, come on. You know, this. you're a podcast host too. You have to look them up. <laughs> I know. True. <laughs> your sister, um, we can even get into that. You have a sister and brother and they've done, you guys have done some really cool challenges together. Um, yeah. like with the Spartan races and mm -hmm. the Appalachian Trail. Oh, you went uh, way back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, you're just so cool. And so um, where was I going with that? Ah, um, why did we get on the topic of the sister? You were talking about my physical body, I think. Right. Okay, yes. So, so with that, I'll just get to the question. So how do you like face the unknowns of life? Like what's your mindset around that? 
Yeah, I think with me, so I don't, I, I, what's interesting is with my disease, it's so slow to progress and I don't see day-to-day changes. And also this has been my normal um, for just this period of time. But then if you were to ask me five years ago what my normal was, it was totally different. Um, and so each, each year progresses and poses different challenges. And so what I've noticed even in the last year is that transition from taking my bed to my, my chair when I'm going to sleep at night. Um, I actually fell forward at the beginning of January and I, um, I landed on my chin Mm. and slit my chin open. I got four stitches and that was a very scary moment because I hadn't fallen in about four years. And it was great because it was like, wow, this is great. You know, I, I never have to worry about falling again, moving into a wheelchair. But now it's it's a little scary to think that as I'm transitioning, I have a risk of falling. And because my legs give out or have the ability to give out as I'm transitioning and and when I transition, it's moving the the weight, shifting your weight over your knees in order to transition. And, um, my family, um, my family is, is been so supportive and I love my brother and my sister. We have really great relationship and, and with my parents as well. Um, they noticed, uh, I think it was like back in high school when walking became more and more difficult And they said, you know, why don't we start piggybacking you? Because distance just became too exhausting. And I think they also picked up on the fact that I would start saying no to things. Mm. Um, They'd be like, hey, let's just walk down to the end of the cul-de-sac or hey, let's let's just walk down into the end of the mall here. And I would say, no, I'll, I'll just chill here and stay there. And my brother and my brother actually started Um, when we would go to music festivals together, just walking from stage to stage was just, I couldn't do it. It was just too exhausting. And he started piggybacking me um, from stage to stage. And that's kind of where that piggyback thing started. And then as my sister, um, she was three years younger than me. So when she um, grew up basically and um, (laughs) was able to to piggyback me, uh, she started taking on that as well. And, um, my brother, and when we were in college, my brother said, you know, why don't we take you on a mud run to where he's awareness for FSHD and muscular dystrophy. And the idea came from him watching a guy named Tony, the fridge who was trying to beat cancer and wanted to show how cancer is just this big, ugly beast that you can't get rid of. Um, easily. And um, so he carries like a giant fridge on his back and does marathons. And so it was like, you know, why don't we do a mud run, a Spartan race? Cause he had done a Spartan race the previous year. Why don't we do a Spartan race and I'll carry you through the obstacles. And I was like, okay, fine, let's do it. That was really difficult. It's very hard to hold on to someone for four miles. Um, <laughs> and they're running, so they're like bouncing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> into mud. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not easy. Um, people think, oh, yeah, you're just cruising. And I'm like, no, no you have to use a lot of muscles to yep. hold on to someone. Yeah. And uh, you're like slippery. I could imagine yeah. you like slip off. He's sweating yes. too. You're so sweating. muddy, yeah. so sweaty. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, so we did that the first year and then my sister, um, got stronger the next year and, um, she carried me and then we did it again the third year. And, um, then my brother went on American Ninja Warrior and used my story as his platform for just awareness. And a friend of mine from college found out that we were on American Ninja Warrior and he has an outdoor adventure company called Vestigo and was like, Cardin, this is incredible. Why don't we go hike the Appalachian Trail? He's like a huge outdoor adventure junkie. And I was like, Marshall, that's like 2000 miles. Like we've <laughs> literally only done three miles. And he's like, yeah, we can do it. We're like, okay, how about we scale it back a little bit? And how about we do the Georgia section? So we compromised. Wait, and- for, can I ask you a question mm-hmm. for people that don't know the Appalachian Trail, how many States does it go through? I wish I knew. Oh, it starts okay. in Georgia and it goes yeah. up to Maine. So, so it's like, it, it takes people months to do. It takes a yeah. uh, minimum. I think the shortest may have been four months, but the average is six to eight months. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's insane. And that's a full, like you, you commit full time to yeah. doing that. Yeah, exactly. Hiking every day, all day. Not yeah. like you go after work and go hiking. No, it's like <laughs> people take six months off their, their life and they go and hike the trail. Yeah. And it's so beautiful, um, but it's also very rigorous. There's also one on the other side of the United States called the PCT, so the Pacific mm. Coast Trail, Crest Trail. Mm-hmm. And um, it goes through uh, another set of mountains on that side. So, um, yeah, uh, we did the Appalachian Trail, Georgia section, 82 miles over nine days. And that was an incredible experience. Um, I think to get back to your question of how do you face the unknowns? And I think it really starts with, um, I don't want to say waiting until a bad thing happens, but that's kind of been what I've been doing is, you know, you kind of push it to the edge until you can't anymore. Um, or I, I wouldn't say I always push it to the edge of having an injury or a fall or something, but I'll definitely push it to the end of what I know I can do. Because I found myself um, when I was transferring from my wheelchair to my bed, I found myself in the last few months, I was like, this is getting more difficult. And you, know, you have to be really honest with yourself mm. and say, this has become more difficult. If you continue to do this this way, you're probably going to fall. And so I continued to push it and push it and push it. And then I ended up falling. <laughs> so I don't recommend doing that. Definitely recommend listening to um, what your what your body is telling you. Uh, but I think you really just approach it with, you know, this is, this is just another step in my life, another transition and uh, do some research, figure out what is going to be the next way to do it. Is there a tool that you can buy? Is there something that um, you can use to make whatever it is that you're doing easier and safer so that you don't injure yourself? So mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think I just, I just approach it with being really honest and upfront with myself that, um, this is happening and you know, I don't, I don't get sad about it anymore. Cause it just, I, like, I'm so used to it at this point. It's almost like numb yeah. to the fact that I always am going to be doing transitions in my life until I find, uh, or until we have a cure, which may or may not be in the next five to six years, which is really hopeful and really exciting to think about. Because I mean, no doubt, I I want to stop it. Like I don't want to continue to get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to have to be fully reliant on 
on someone and I, you know, I still want to be as independent as I can. Um, but you know, I, I may, I may come to that point in my life and with that, I'll just, you know, take it as it is. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. It's almost, would you say it's like you take each day as it comes? I think it's not really so much day to day. I think it's more so year to year, but okay. I definitely am monitoring, you know, I can notice when things are getting more difficult uh, on a, on a year to year basis. Mm. And then also at the same time, I can imagine it goes beyond, which is kind of the more to the question. It goes beyond just like the physical parts of your disability. It's when you face just the challenges of life, like outside of your disability of relationships, of, of jobs, of weather, you know what I mean? You are way more adaptable as an individual. Would you say that? Like it moves into your mindset too. I think so. I mean, I, I definitely don't get flustered over the small things in life. You know, people are like, oh, I had a bad haircut or, oh, this and this didn't go well today. And it's not like, you know, you don't have your daily, your daily um, <laughs> rants that you have, but I, I feel that I don't ruminate in them and I don't, you know, just like, okay, it happened. What's next? Mm-hmm. Um, or, okay, this happened. Is there anything that I can do to control it? If yes, then work to control it. Um, and if not, then let it go because mm. you can't control it. Yeah. So I think um, just really understanding what you can and can't control will be really important in how you just continue to move forward. Because I mean, it, I can spend so much time on ruminating on something that is meaningless and, and really has no has no basis for me to even think about um, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's okay. You ruminate on things. And- oh yeah. Just, it's, it just doesn't make sense to ruminate on silly little things that aren't impactful in the greater scheme of, of your daily life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really think that's, that's something important and that's something I'm, I, I try to be mindful of in, in my life. Even we are going through a pandemic at the moment. Yeah. I have no control that I'm, locked in my house besides going to work. And yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people are kind of learning that lesson this year as well overall. And that's the other thing too, is the pandemic hit and everyone was forced to stay in their house for a long period of time and have continued to do so. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, people ask me, you know, how is it like being inside all day and having to deal with that? And it's like, I think I, I just encountered different challenges, right? Normally. I would go out and fetch food because I don't usually cook for myself because it's just difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would go out to restaurants all the time. And now it's like, okay, now I need to find another way of eating um, because all the restaurants shut down. And, you know, I, I'm fine. I, I think I just have that strong mental fortitude where I can be alone with myself for a really long time and be mm-hmm. okay. Um, where a lot of people aren't, and they've had to learn or they're not doing okay. And they've had to seek help and assistance. And it's, it's really sad to see how it's really transformed so many different people on various different mental, uh, mental statuses. Mm-hmm. 100%. But for me, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's really unfortunate from, uh, and I, and I'm framing the mindset around being in your house all day long, not the fact that the pandemic was a horrible thing and is, uprooted so many people and and, and stuff, but I'm just saying, um, from the physical state of having to stay in your house all day 
and not being okay alone with yourself and your thoughts. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's almost like a superpower nowadays. Being yeah, able- it is. <laughs> yeah. There's a quote, um, I'm going to flog it, but it, it, I can't remember the beginning part, but it's like something where like a man can sit in a room alone with his thoughts. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, Oh shoot. I I can't remember. I'll ask my dad. My dad would always say it. Um, but I think that's important. And yeah, that's something that has really come to a head for, I think everyone, everyone's faced that at some point during this pandemic, regardless of where you are. Um, which I kind of think is important. It's also, um, highlighting things that we could just ignore or distract ourselves from previously. Right. But yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing is with the pandemic hitting, you know, my, my mind is so problem solution focused mm-hmm. where I was like, okay, this is happening. This is a problem. What are we going to do to figure it out? Mm-hmm. And so I very adaptive in that sense. And mm-hmm. so that's why managing the pandemic was much easier for myself and probably a lot of people with disabilities uh, because they just have that adaptive mindset. Um, but it's, it's been difficult for, uh, not to say that it has been easy for everyone with disabilities, right? Thinking about medications and special pharmacies and those mm-hmm. closing down or not getting access to those essential needs. And then if you have a caretaker thinking about, um, well, what if your caretaker gets COVID? Who's going to help you out? Who's going to help you go to the bathroom or get change clothes or take a shower, you know, those daily activities, um, so yeah, it, it's a place displaced a lot of people. I just speaking from my own personal self, I just had to think about food and that was the most pressing issue at the time. Mm-hmm. But I will say it was probably a very successful year for me personally in terms of like accomplishments. And a lot of what I was doing was very much in person. Like I would go to businesses and I would do walkthroughs going, what I was doing a lot was in person and going to different businesses and providing feedback and suggestions on how they could make their restaurant, their bar more accessible. And now it's, you know, doing a series of emails, looking at their current pictures on Yelp and Mm. providing feedback. Um, So just thinking about other ways. So it's like, okay, you can't do this in person. How can you do this virtually? Mm -hmm. And so I was really easy to just shift very quickly um, and instead of getting really like upset and down that I can't do it in person, mm-hmm. it makes it a lot easier for my life because I can do a lot more. Yeah. yeah. I, I, was <laughs> I don't actually that. have to go. Yeah. And um, I could imagine for a lot of people, whether they um, are disabled or non-disabled, that in that regard where, where we have to stay at home, it's actually been super helpful. Like even um, Becca was telling me when we were chatting, transportation was really difficult for her because it was so loud, the lights and things like that. Whereas now that she doesn't have to commute, she's really happy to be working from home. Um, I want to expand on that though. Let, let's get into that. Can, can you share a bit more about the work that you do as a disability activist? Is that the right, is that the right title that you would say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, activism. Yeah, you do a, a lot. Um, even if you just Google your name, you, so much comes up. You also just can you explain what you just shared on Instagram yesterday? You were in the Atlanta. What was it? Forty under forty. Uh, yeah, top ten inspiring Atlanta innovators. Top ten. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, a really cool to be. Um, I'm very thankful to be featured as a Atlanta's 
inspiring innovators under 40. And I was like, why can't they say under 30? Because I'm not, I'm not in the 30 to 40 category yet. <laughs> Even more um, niche. I don't want people to think that I'm super old yet. <laughs> you don't look old at all. You look I'm trying to keep my, my youthful age. I'm still okay. in my 20s. <laughs> you um, look it for sure. <laughs> thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, so I work with a number of local advocacy orgs and coalitions and then work with uh, local city legislators to create a more accessible world. So I focus, my primary focus is on transit equity right now. And so this past year I rated over like 1200 bus stops on equity and that was accessibility, safety, lighting, um, cleanliness. And we have 25,000 stops, bus stops here in the city of Atlanta and in surrounding counties. And um, our transportation is very inaccessible from a sidewalk standpoint. And mm -hmm. the majority of our transportation is bus routes. Um, our trains are accessible, uh, like their platforms and they have elevators at every stop. So not so much on the trains, but the bus stops um, lacking sidewalks or sidewalks are crumbling and, or they don't exist in a lot of places. And so if we're thinking from a trans equity standpoint, uh, that is supposed to be a requirement by law is to have accessible transportation. But if you can't get to a bus stop uh, because it doesn't have a sidewalk, it's inaccessible or it's on a dangerous spot for a pedestrian, regardless of a wheelchair, just a pedestrian in general. Yeah. You're, you're um, providing, th those are just inequities and providing a disservice to individuals who need that transportation to be able to get to everywhere that they need to go. So I rely on uh, rolling in the streets a lot and we're a very car centric city here in Atlanta and it, it, the streets are not safe to be rolling on them. And so I have to do it with a lot of caution. The other thing is we don't have bike lanes here in Atlanta. I, I'll say that, that we don't have a, a network of bike lanes. We have like a bike lane here and there. And most of them are unprotected. And so uh, it's a huge disservice and disadvantage for not only our bicyclists who can see and hear, but uh, for individuals that are bicyclists that are hard of hearing, um, they can't hear a car that's coming up behind them. Um, and so that can be uh, increased risk of injury and can be uh, very scary for them. But also if there's no sidewalk, I'll roll in the bike lane, um, <laughs> the bike lanes that we have available to us in our cities. So I'll, I will route to those streets that have bike lanes, even if they're um, unprotected and roll in them because they're better than the sidewalks. We mm -hmm. take better care of our roads than we do our sidewalks. And that's, it's kind of a problem in my mm -hmm. opinion. Um, so working with things like the bicycle coalitions here in Atlanta and the transit equity coalitions here, uh, because they're advocating for safe streets, rollable sidewalks, um, bike lanes, um, we're all kind of in the same group and just have a, you can spread your message when you partner with those organizations that are after the same thing. And so I've made so many awesome friends that I love working with them and, and just continuing to spread the word about accessibility and having that be the number one framework for design and inclusion is 
when you start with accessibility in the very beginning, you really design for everyone. And so that, that's the mission. That's, that's the vision. Um, and then working with local city legislators, that's how you drive policy change and get the things that you want in the city implemented because there's money behind it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, not a lot of money, but there is money. Um, so I worked on a task force. I was the chairwoman of the Atlanta Accessibility Inclusion Task Force, which we uh, did a about 30 page report, um, just giving feedback and suggestions on accessibility in the built environment and in the digital environment um, and also like in their social media content, making sure there's things like captions on their videos, things like Mm. alt text, making sure that um, they're adding text descriptions when there's images and that they're not just putting up pictures that have important words on them and links and dates to things and you're not providing that in a text format. You know, that, that's mm-hmm. helpful for anyone. So yeah, I just doing a lot, uh, learned a lot over the last few years, definitely spent a lot of time, uh, with my own thoughts in my own head during the <laughs> pandemic uh, this past year. And it's been, um, such a rewarding journey, uh, just continuing on the movement, um, and to, help out those that came before me that started the movement. I'm thinking about people like Judy Human, um, uh, who's an incredible disability advocate. If you haven't watched the Crip Camp film on Netflix, uh, she was the, the, the main leader of it. And, um, you know, she left that legacy and it's my duty to continue it forward. And so that's what I'm working to do, uh, just to make the city more accessible. Mm-hmm. She is, yeah, I, I watched that. It's an amazing documentary. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. She was, she, she, I didn't know she passed away. Uh, she hasn't. Oh, sorry. I thought, oh, you She's said a living it. living legacy. Yeah. Right. yeah oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I was like, what? I thought it, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Highly recommend. I'll also link that in the show notes to the documentary. Um, I wanted to ask you on that. So extending further, um, you are also currently, you told me prior to us recording that you're attending um, a program at Cornell University. Is that correct? What is the yeah. name of the program again? And can you explain how that is um, contributing to your activism for the disabled community? Sure. So or the disability I, community. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, I'll get, I'll get. Um, I took a eight week course at Cornell University. It was a diversity and inclusion certificate. And that's really more so to empower diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And what it helped me to do is to check my own bias. And I think for me, I'm the type of person that loves, uh, like I told you earlier, I'm very like problem solution oriented. Mm -hmm. And so I like to share a lot of feedback and I like to talk about how to make things better or easier or, or smarter, more efficient. And so I'm usually that type of person in the, in a conversation to actively speak all the time and and like want to be the first person to give feedback and suggestions, um, because I get really excited about it and I love doing it. But with that comes privilege, right? And you have to check your own bias. Mm -hmm. And so something that I, I learned is 
to really just let others in the room speak before you do and then contribute. Because if you are the type of person that constantly is speaking first um, all the time, you are not allowing those that generally don't share their voice and their opinion, um, you're overshadowing them. And I think that it's also part of, I'm, I'm trying to climb the ladder and be a manager at the company. And um, I just want to make sure that, you know, I, I have to check my own bias and my own privilege. And so that was one of the key things for me that I learned is to really be patient um, and let others speak first. The other one is um, evaluating your workplace and your working group and um, the entire organization on inclusion and diversity measures. And I think it's less focused on the disability community as a whole, just more so under marginalized groups in general. Um, and inclusion and belonging really start when you empower those individuals that bring a lot to the table, that their skills are recognized and that they're valued and that you give them a place to use those skills. In a lot of organizations that have high attrition and turnover rates for their employees is because they're not giving those individuals the ability mm -hmm. to leverage those skills. You're not putting them in a position um, to use them. You're not giving them stretch assignments or things that would, that would allow them to grow. Um, uh, they gave a lot of really just tangible tools. I, I highly recommend the course. Um, they just give you a lot of tangible tools of what to think about in the company and the workplace, um, but also how you evaluate your own self and make sure that you're also showing up for other individuals um, equally. Mm -hmm. What was the name of the course again? Sorry. It was Cornell University's Diversity and Inclusion Certificate. Okay. Okay. And I'll, I'll also link that in the show notes. Um, thank you for sharing that. And I know you even met some, I, I know you interviewed someone that I think you met through the course too. So I can imagine you met some really cool people in, in the program as well. Yeah, yeah, actually funny story here. So one of the guys that was in my class, he was living in um, just in Peoria, Illinois and Peoria, Illinois is outside Chicago about an hour or so. And that's is part of my heritage. The Wyckoff farm was one of it was out in uh, Peoria, Illinois. And so he was the residence hall director for Wyckoff dorm there on campus. Oh, wow. He worked at a university. And so he DM'd me on, on the course and was like, Wyckoff, do you have any connection with Peoria, Illinois? And I was like, yeah, actually, that, that's, that's part of where my grandfather, great, great, great grandfather and his family uh, were raised. So that's cool. Funny. That's really cool. But yeah, no, well, what's interesting about that is he had an application that he's developing to turn um, American Sign Language or to be able to communicate American Sign Language into text. So right now they, they've mastered fingerspelling um, into text and now they're working on full language into text so mm -hmm. that you can communicate at a bar or at a restaurant, your order. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a, I listened to that one the other day. It was, it was a good episode. I want to kind of change shift gears a little bit here. And I want to ask a, 
not ask you about, but I just want to say something, a common theme that I think is, is probably predominant in, in your podcast and something that I really took away and was a moment of like self-reflection of like, again, just my own ignorance, but you talk about, about a lot about how people with disabilities are still people. We are still part of a community. We still have friendships. We still have romantic relationships. We still have the like basic needs and um, how you move towards removing the stigma around that. Is there anything you want to like say to that? I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything in that regard. Um, yeah, yeah, we are people. We're very multidimensional. <laughs> human superpower with a lot of superpowers. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think what we're seeing is a lack of representation of the disability community in the media, in the entertainment industry, in, um, in the workplace. And it is a problem. And so what we are trying to do as a whole is to create a more inclusive space. You know, why do we continue to fill the role of non-disabled individuals that play a disabled character? You know, mm. wh- why are we doing that? That's not real life. You know, I, I wouldn't want someone to play me um, who is who doesn't use a wheelchair because they don't understand at the root psychological level, what it is like to be living with a disability, especially a physical one that is progressive. Like you're never going to be able to translate that into real life. You know, you need someone that actually has a disability to play those roles. Um, And then we're thinking about the media and thinking about magazine covers and, and workout, you know, it's like, here are the top 10 workouts that you can do for 2021. And they're all they're all non-disabled workouts and those that are standing and those that have full range of motion. And it's like, okay, well, what about for me? I, I mean, I have limited range of motion for my upper body and for my legs. So what about me? Right. Um, so kind of like that me too kind of movement and, um, how do we, and I think this is also true of other under marginalized communities, right? Historically, it's been a lot of like white women on covers. You know, how do we get more colorful covers and mm-hmm. and covers that have multi-dimensional individuals? You know, people that have that are black and disabled, right? Someone that is uh, Latina and disabled. You know, the thing with the disability community is that it stretches everyone in all the different communities has the ability to do that. Mm. And yet we aren't showcasing that in the entertainment industry and in media. And that's a problem. And and we are giving a lot of um, issues right now to Sia, who just came out with a film called Music. I don't know if you've seen the trailers for it, but Sia is uh, a very well-known producer an artist, musical artist, and she created this film called Sia, called Music, and it portrays an autistic girl, but who, an autistic girl who in real life is non-disabled. And also the, they based this character doing research on 
autistic boys and not an autistic girl. And so, you know, it's this constant battle that we face where we're asking for representation, but we're getting characters that are played by non-disabled actors and actresses. And we're also getting characters that are being played um, where you haven't gotten the full picture and you haven't fully gotten it right. So I don't know if it's a win for the disability community to look at a movie like that, where you have autism being elevated, but it's done so incorrectly. Like an autistic girl versus an autistic boy, they look very different and they manifest. And then Becca talks about that a lot mm-hmm. um, on her podcast. And, you know, so why do we continue to have these conversations? And when will society have it click in their head that this is not okay? And so it just, we have a lot of activists that continue to just talk about that narrative and and go back to those producers and those directors and say, you know, this wasn't okay. You know, I think the intention might, might've been there, um, but it was done incorrectly. So what can we do next time to make so make it so that you don't make that mistake again? Um, and so I think we just want to be seen, heard and valued and represented equally, just like how any other individual would. Mm-hmm. This this might be kind of a silly and obvious question, and but I just want to I just want to make sure that I'm like fully understanding the importance of this. So say someone um, that see a video in particular, so they're highlighting autism, but um, say they do something incorrectly because it is it is not accurate. Now, since society as a whole, they might not know much about autism. And this might be the only time someone's exposed to autism. And then they're going to watch this video and then make all these assumptions based off of an incorrect representation. Is that, is that kind of one of the main problems with that? Definitely. Yeah. Because okay. you're looking at one instance of what autism looks like. And so we're furthering those stereotypes that autism shows up only this way. Hmm. Um, And and this is just in that example for that movie, right? Yeah. And that's far from the truth, right? Um, And so not all individuals on the autism spectrum are Mm nonverbal or, um, and and Becca talks about this a lot. Like she's very verbal and she's very talkative, right? And she's awesome. Um, but her autism shows up differently because she's not a boy, right? It shows up very differently uh, between the two sexes or, um, the, the at birth sex. And, um, yeah, for her, it's, it's a lot of sensory and sound and smells and tastes and, um, temperatures and lighting, um, and those kinds of triggers, but what they're displaying on, on the, on this movie is the, the very far end of the spectrum, like the most severe type of autism. Right. And so that's another problem is that autism, especially autism shows up in a thousand different ways. Yeah. Um, or more than that, a limited, right. It's a spectrum. Um, and then the other thing, the common narrative that we see as well in the media um, and also in the entertainment industry is that it's always this tragedy story of someone with a, a, this is a disability, whether or not they get really sick and they get cancer and then they become helpless and they die. And it's always kind of like the Cinderella story of the girl always gets really, really, really sick. And the, the, this 
troubled boy comes in and saves this girl and they have this loving, happy ending story and she ends up dying. And then he ends up killing herself. He ends up killing himself or becomes really sad or, um, what we saw in, um, what was it? Me before you, um, the, the man who uses the wheelchair, who is so on the end of the spectrum of, uh, being, uh, he, he was, uh, paralyzed fully from the neck down. And, you know, that's another thing is yes, there are instances of where that happens. Um, and there are instances where people do need caretakers, but we tend to display the extremes and it's like, you know, I have limited range of motion, but I still move. Um, and not everyone that's paralyzed is, is paralyzed from the neck down, right? Paralysis comes in all different shapes and forms. So I don't know how we, how we show up <laughs> correctly. Um, because right, you know, a movie is one movie and it takes years to create that, right? It's not something that just, you can put out just like Instagram content. Yeah. You know, it takes a long time. And so, but I think we would just, we want to see at least more actors with disabilities being elevated and um, making sure that we're not looking and, and filming to the extremes of the disability of the different disabilities. Cause that's not always the case. And um, the other thing is, you know, ask us, ask the community if this is okay. And, you know, what Sia said is she had, you know, three or four years of research and it's like, who, who did you talk to? Who did you research? Because you got it really, really wrong. Like you're mm -hmm. portraying autism using a girl, a girl character doing research from an autistic boy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, with that being said, I want to transition to another question then on top of that. Um, and this is kind of my intention with, with this episode is how can we as individuals as a community, but more specifically as individuals better support those, um, with disabilities? I think in order to help the disability community is first by looking at it from the social model where you identify barriers in your environment and work to remove them. And I'm not asking you here today to solve the education crisis and the transportation inequities and um, all these big things that are going to take decades and centuries and things far after I'm dead to solve. Um, it's, you can do tangible things in your own community um, by looking at your environment. Let's say you're a business owner and you, you own a restaurant and you have uh, like a counter that has condiments on it and, um, or someone goes and fills up their soda uh, through a fountain. Is that reachable? You know, maybe look to an external auditor or someone who maybe there's a, a common goer that comes in and uses a wheelchair or is blind. Um, obviously starting with those visible disabilities and ask them for their feedback. You know, how is your experience here? You know, are you able to reach certain things? Um, what can we do to better make this service better for you? I think it also is educating yourself and listening to different podcasts of uh, elevating people with disabilities. Um, and then also 
looking at different hashtags on the internet. Like you can do hashtag disability inclusion, disability awareness, uh, disability advocacy, and find the people that are talking on a regular basis on those hashtags and start following them and start learning from them. You know, there's so many notable disability influencers on social media, and they're constantly putting out content on a daily basis um, that are talking about the the issues with people with disabilities and, and our community and and the stereotypes and the stigmas and the obstacles that we face. And so start educating yourself, start reading books, you know, things like disability visibility is a great narrative of essays, um, things like the Judy human, uh, book and, um, Haven Germa's book and watching Crip camp on Netflix. You know, you just start kind of got to get, you got to dive into the disability community. And the way to do that is to start with content that is created by people with disabilities, not necessarily for people with disabilities, but have them be the author of the story. Um, if you are a pedestrian goer and you're on the sidewalk and you see obstacles, you know, if you have like those bird scooters that are all over the place, um, removing those um, out of the right of way. I didn't even um, think of that. Yeah. Those are the easiest thing that you could do. Or let's say you're um, going down the sidewalk and there's no curb cut. And a curb cut is that ramp that you get to yeah. the end of the sidewalk. And it, it, it's a ramp that allows you to transition right onto the street. If there's no curb cut, you know, maybe take a picture of it and report it to your non-emergency system and hope to get your public works or your local transportation committee to repair that sidewalk, whoever owns that um, sidewalk. Um, uh, if you go into a building and you have to pull a door open, you know, maybe asking the building owner, Hey, can we add a push to open door here? Or can we loosen the tension? Um, if, if you as a non-disabled individual find something difficult to do, it's likely going to be thousand times more difficult for someone who is disabled. Um, if you're in, it's even something like you go into a restaurant and all the tables are really crowded together and it's really difficult to move and you have to move chairs and stuff out of the way, it's definitely going to be an issue for someone who uses a wheelchair. Um, and may, that may have changed right with COVID. I think mm -hmm. things are more spaced out now. Um, restaurants are trying to be more distant, which has really has been really helpful for me because now there's just so much space Yeah, <laughs> when you go into a restaurant, which is really nice. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, it goes and it goes on and on. But um, and I think from a from a digital aspect of it, um, let's say you're on a webinar and um, asking or looking, are there live captions on that? Because even if you are blind or or, or sorry, if you're not blind or you don't have low vision, someone who is cited may want to use those captions because they find it easier to read, or maybe English isn't their first language. Mm. So you can't assume that everyone joining your webinar is able to um, understand and comprehend um, all of the things that you're saying verbally without captions. Mm. Um, and things like social media content. So when you put out a picture, are you describing that picture so that someone who is low vision or who is blind um, can understand what's being said on the screen. 
So there's a lot of little things that you can do in your within your own environment in your own community. You don't have to, we're not asking you to go and solve all the problems of the disability community because it's to be like, you know, how do we, how do we end racism? Right. It's like some, it's not something that's going to happen overnight, but it starts with those really small steps and those small changes. And it works to create that network of allies that start speaking up and saying, Hey, I don't see this here. Hey, is it possible to add this, um, make it a little bit easier? Hey, can we modify this or change that? Um, start looking through that mindset and through that lens, um, the, that'll be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. There was a lot to, to take away there. Um, the Another question I, I really want to ask you is you do a lot of um, speaking. You have a podcast yourself. Um, you're just an advocate within your own community. What If you could say one message to the world about anything, what what would it be? Oh man, one message is not <laughs> enough. <laughs> okay, you can you can you do multiple. I would love to hear. Oh yeah, no. Um, I love what the CEO of Microsoft always says: is that accessibility should be run like a business. And what that means is that accessibility should have targets, measures methods, visions, obstacles, all the things you name it, smart goals, um, and everything that you do, it should be the number one priority in everything that you should do. Because when you design with inclusion and accessibility in mind, you design for everyone. And, and then the other one is, I don't really care so much about your accessibility policies. I want to know what your accessibility practices are. What are you actually doing? You can say that you're doing stuff. You could write it out and have it in your corporate V2, in your corporate goals and stuff. But if you're not actually doing that and empowering all of the employees in, or, in, in, or anyone in your organization, then you're not really walking the walk and talking the talk. Mm-hmm. I love that. I really like that. Um, I want to close off with, with one more question um, before I get to where people can connect with you and such. Um, I just want to ask you, like, well, what my closing question was going to be, like, is there, since you get interviewed a lot, you do a lot of public speaking, is there any topic or question that you haven't been asked that you hope maybe one day someone would ask you? That was going to be the question, but I do still want to ask that question, but I want to piggyback on it. And I just want to say like, do you ever get tired of people like approaching you and just talking about your disability? Do you ever sometimes think like, okay, well, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you ever like, like, so, so what the question, like what I want to ask was like, what else are you passionate about outside of um, your activism? Because I know, I know you genuinely are passionate or I don't want to mm-hmm. assume, sorry, I'm assuming you are genuinely passionate about it because that's how, that's how it comes across. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, are, are you passionate? Like, what else are you passionate about? And do you ever get tired of, of just speaking about disability rights? I don't get tired about speaking about disability inclusion just because as my disease continues to progress, I'm going to need more and more services and resources. And if I'm not advocating for it now and, and looking and researching it now, I, I'm going to be in the dark. Mm-hmm. when it comes to that time when I need it. And also 
kind of talking earlier about that legacy, right? You know, you kind of have to respect and, and pass on the torch. Um, you know, so let's say like Judy Human and, and her, and, and her, um, what are they called? Her generation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Generation. Um, the, the people that came before me, they're ge- the generations that came before me. Um, they are passing on that torch to, um, me and, um, my generation. And so it's important that we continue that on. We continue the conversations, um, so that, you know, when I become 70 years old, that I continue to, to pass the torch so that those, uh, after me can continue, the conversation and do the good work to make it more accessible. Um, do I get tired of, of people asking me about my disability? It's a lot less now that I'm not out and about all mm-hmm. the time. Uh, but it was a daily thing when I was at the train station, it was, so what's wrong with you? <laughs> mm. That's the first thing that comes out of your mouth. Are you serious? Who raised you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, do you it's just, just throw it back d- at them? Are you like, what's wrong with you? What's <laughs> like, wrong that's wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'll, I'll question them and I'll be like, what do you mean? What do you mean? What's wrong with me? I don't see yeah. anything wrong with me. Exactly. <laughs> and then they'll say, well, you use a wheelchair. And I'm like, yeah. And you walk. I mean, what's the problem here? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, I think it just depends on the mood that I'm in. I'll definitely um, use that as a education piece. Um, to, you know, plug a few things, maybe plug my podcast, maybe. Uh, but usually it's someone is asking it because they are impacted by a disability or they know someone that is impacted by a disability and they want to talk. They need someone to share those thoughts and those feelings on. And so they'll pick someone that is visibly disabled and, and share that story with them. I don't know if it's for personal gain or not, but, um, I do think it it comes from a a good place. I try to think of that. Um, and just to recognize that people are curious and they're going to ask, and that's the time to just share your story. Mm -hmm. We all have a story at the end of the day. So, Mm -hmm. and as you said, we all want to be seen and we want to be heard Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, we do. Yeah. I think it does. It kind of does get old if, if people keep saying, um, you know, what's wrong with you or why are you in a wheelchair? Cause it's, you know, that's not my problem. That's their problem at mm-hmm. the end of the day. So kind of have to think about that. And also I'm not here to, I can't educate every single person on this planet about why I'm in a wheelchair or, or my disease or, or why I, I am the way that I am. It's, you know, it's just, you know, why are you the way that you are? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for answering all of my questions and for um, just being a light in the world, just in, as a, an individual. You, you, you're doing great things, Cardin. And um, thanks. Yeah. I'm just, I'm so honored to, to know you and to have this conversation with you. So with that being said, um, if people want to listen to your podcast, if they want to connect with you, if they want to learn about more of the work that you've been doing, et cetera, where can you be found? My podcast is Free Wheeling with Carden, C-A-R-D-E-N, and you can find that on any listening platform like Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and my Instagram handles. I have two. I have Free Wheeling with Carden for the podcast, and then my personal Instagram is Carden of Milk. (laughs) 
because if you were in elementary school, you have those little cartons of milk. <laughs> I love some it. Some people get it. Some people don't. I um, think it's great. I think it's funny. Um, <laughs> that's also my Twitter. I love Twitter for transportation equity um, elevation. And that's what I share a lot of my content. That's why I do a lot of transportation equity stuff and more like city, uh, city changes that I'm doing. I, I talk a lot about it on my Twitter because mm-hmm. there's a large network of people that I'm connected to that I share feedback on. And, and they, and it's cool that once you create that network, you know, they're pinging you on stuff and they're like, Hey, Carter, what's your suggestions here? Like, then the other thing is what's really cool is, you know, you formed allies when they're, when they'll DM you on a picture and they'll be like, this wouldn't be accessible for Carden. And I'm like, <laughs> I love this. <laughs> this is so awesome. So, you know, people are talking about it. You know, sometimes you think that the work that you're doing isn't impacting people, but you have to remember that at least one person sees it and listens to it. And if you just continue to spread that movement and have that awareness, um, you really are touching people, uh, their lives um, in, in ways that you never would imagine because not everyone's as open as and verbal on social media, but they're definitely reading it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, those are the, the two places that I find. I'm not on Facebook, so I don't. That's fine. I don't think anyone's on Facebook. And then I, oh, I'm on um, Clubhouse. You can find me on Clubhouse. I just joined. What is Clubhouse? Sorry. It's a new audio platform for, Ooh. it's like Zoom, but audio only. And they're working to get captions on it. So I kind of like, I don't do any disability activism stuff on it because it's not accessible. So I can't like bring in a disability community and not have captions. That would be really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you can just, basically like you it's basically like if if all the zooms of the world were open and you can just drop in and drop out of the different um the different webinars that are going on and it's all all audio oh cool is it almost like like a live podcast that you could listen to in a way kind of yeah Yeah. it's basically like a live podcast yeah and so people people collaborate like um they'll have multiple hosts on a session or they'll just have one person leading and they're sharing different things about different things so Oh, that's so cool. I definitely will check that out. That sounds awesome. I'll invite you. Yeah. Well, Carden, thank you so Yay! much for this chatting. Is wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so grateful for all the work that you're doing and just being curious. I think it's so important. Um, and just to see how you are so curious about learning and educating yourself on the disability community. And that is so critical and so important. So we need more people like you that actively want to ask questions and aren't scared to ask questions. And even if they think they're dumb, it's you're, you're just trying to make sure that you're helping out other people at the end of the day. So I thank you. Thank you, Carden. It means a lot. Carden, thank you once again for coming on The Curious One. I have learned so much from you and it was such an honor to speak with you on the show. I will close out this conversation with a quote from Brene Brown. I will not teach love or show you anything perfectly, but I will let you see me, and I will always hold sacred the gift of seeing you, truly, deeply seeing you. I hope wherever you are in the world at this time that you are doing well, you're taking time for yourself, and you're showing love to yourself and to others. I look forward to connecting with you next time. If you would like to further this conversation and get in touch, visit my Instagram at the Curious One Podcast. For more information, resources, and show notes, please head to thecuriousonepodcast.com. 
Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, be well.